So I'm going to share with you today a message that uh, is challenging to me, and I often find myself in this place where, yeah, I have something on my heart that God's really working on and I'm struggling through, and then um, an opportunity presents itself to share it. And sometimes that's great, and sometimes that's really humbling. And uh, this week it was really humbling as I prepared the message and really realized that even the simplest messages of Jesus can be challenging, and it's not so much you know, how academically difficult they are. It's more about how difficult they can be to sow into our hearts and into our lives and into our actions. So that's where you're finding me this morning. Um, so yeah, I'm coming before you with a lot of humility and in working on this, I've become very aware of my own failures. <laughs> um, and that's probably a good place to be when you're going to share God's word. Another thing about the message today is that I know for myself as I prepared it, it touched some places where I hold a lot of grief and some pain in my life. I'm going to be talking about children. Um, I've had a lot of children in my life. I, yeah, I, I love caring for children. I love making space for children. I've also lost a child. I've also had um, some pregnancies I've lost. And I've also fostered children who have been struggling deeply in life. So... It just makes me think that there's probably a lot of us in this room that the topic of children is tough for, or the topic of parenting, or just the idea of um, what happens to children in our community and the struggles we see and know are real. So I just want to say that to tend to the reality that for some people, there's things that come up in church messages that hit us in a very deep place. And I know that happens for me. And we can't do anything about that, we can't fix it, but I just wanted to, you to know that that's okay, and that's a reality, um, and I just pray for God to tend to you in those spaces. And also, you know, if anything is said, or, you know, feel free to do what you need to do to take care of yourself this morning um, as we dig into this. So, yeah. On a more light note, I had a wonderful time this week. I was at a course out west, and um, speaking of children, I was meeting with people from across the country. Some of them are pastors, some of them are church leaders, some of them are just doing great Christian ministry in their communities. And we had nights where we cried together and poured out our sorrows and laments, and then we had uh, the final night I was there, Thursday night, I went out with a group of women, and I'm usually known in a group for being the loudest laugh, and it's always been like that, and when I get going, it's kind of embarrassing for the people around me, because they're like, oh my goodness, is she really that loud? And I actually hung out with a woman who has a louder laugh than me. It was awesome. <laughs> she's from Newfoundland, and she's really proud of her Newfie heritage, and when she got going, I was like, whoa, this is what it must be like being with me sometimes. I actually went to use the washroom in the restaurant, and I was like, st the stall was shut, uh, you know, and I could hear her laughing. <laughs> so I'm coming out of week where there were some wonderful uh, experiences of joy and celebrating and hearing laughter, and one of challenges. So yeah, I just bring that because it reminds me of how mixed we are as a human community, um, and I love it. Um, and it was a really rich week as well as a really challenging week. So like I said, I'm going to talk about children today, but it's going to be a little bit of a different message because I'm not so much talking about children as talking about Jesus' heart for children and how that, some of the, a couple of the messages he had about children and about how we are to relate to children and, and be with children is very disruptive. And um, it disrupts our thinking, it disrupts our plans, and it might disrupt our agendas a little bit. So I've called it the disruptive message of Jesus. 
And um, I know it's been disrupting me a little bit to go through this this week, so we'll see how it goes. So as you can see, the picture of Jesus here is a little disrupted. And one of the things I've been learning as I've been preparing this is sometimes I think I just really get Jesus and I really know what he's all about and I, I get really confident and have this idea that I'm doing this Christian thing right and, you know, just go forward. And then suddenly I get, I learn something new or I read something in the scriptures and I'm like, what? That can't, that can't, you know, that doesn't match up. And I'm going to share a couple passages where that happened to the people who were following Jesus closely. And uh, he sent a little zinger into the midst of them when they had their own agendas and they were caught up in what was going on around them. And um, that's why I chose that picture is because it's kind of like, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> How do we cope with this? So that's a little bit of where we're going today. But I'm going to start with the big picture of what was going on at the time um, that the passages I'm going to use were being shared by Jesus. Well, there we go. For those of you that aren't as familiar with the stories of Jesus or the scriptures or who are just visual learners like me, I put a big map of the world because I remember when I was a new Christian, people would talk about Jesus and all these names in Israel and I'd be like, I'm like, can I put up my hand and say, I don't exactly know where you're talking about? So if you're like that, don't be ashamed. We all, <laughs> not all of us have great geographical skills. But if you look at the map of the world, there's a little box that's 3Ding out. That's Israel, where it is. And when you zoom in just above Africa and below Europe there, that's where it is on the map. And to your right is a big map of the area that Jesus lived in, was born in, traveled in, taught in, and where all the action around him happened. Those red lines don't really mean anything. I just like the map because it was nice and simple. But if you see the big circle at the top, that was where Jesus did a lot of his early ministry. And then he kind of took a couple tours all the way down to the bottom of the map and then kind of went back up. And he would circle through, and what he did was just walk around and teach people, and share the good news of God, and minister to people. He would do miracles. And there's, there's sort of a, an energy that builds throughout Jesus' ministry. I was looking it up, and I hope I'm right, but what I got the sense of is it would take about four days of walking two and a half miles, I think it was miles an hour. If you walk two and a half miles an hour for four days, you could go, kind of do the whole route that's shown there if you went in a bit of a circle. And I was thinking about that because in my brain, I just, I'm from Canada, right? It's like to walk to another city or to walk to another province or region, it's like, that's not a four-day walk. <laughs> it's sort of unimaginable. So if you can imagine to kind of move throughout this area from top to bottom would take four days straight walking, but for Jesus, it probably took a week at a time. And he did that a few times throughout his ministry. And each region that he went to, had its own political tensions and into, just like the Middle East does now, right? Each region has its own particular history and its own particular political intrigue and conflict. And he would walk through that and as you, you know, see him teaching and read the stories, you get a sense of that. That sometimes, I don't totally understand it, but there, it seems like he's saying something in particular or doing something that stirs up the people. And there's no exception to the passage we're going to look at today. Jesus was just starting to head into more difficult territory in his teaching. Up until now, he'd been kind of like not really blaring who he was. He was kind of keeping a low profile. He, was, he would minister, and then he'd move on to another place. And then all of a sudden, he starts 
not all of a sudden, I guess gradually, he starts shifting the message and starting to be a little more edgy. And I love that Corey said, we're going to sing this song in an edgier way today because we want to get at the deeper meaning of it. And that's exactly what Jesus would do. He, when you start, he started dropping some word bombs into his teaching, like son of man and, you know, coming kingdom. He started saying things that would have kind of provoked his listeners to go, wait, wait a minute, I know what that, I know those words, or I, I recognize that, that comes from our history, that comes from the scriptures of, the ancient scriptures of ours. And then they would be like, how does that line up with what Jesus is saying? And then he starts talking about how he's, he's going to die and come back in three days. And, oh, no worries. It's all good. Someone will, I, I was just about to say, someone's going to get up and help you with that, and sure enough, they're on it, so... All right. So you get the picture. He's teaching, and his teaching's getting edgier, and it's getting more intense. And also, as he's traveling around, he started traveling back to areas where there was a lot of political intensity early, um, in earlier days before him. There was, Keith has been talking about John the Baptist and his ministry, and we know that uh, he got in a lot of trouble. He actually got beheaded. Um, and he was killed for the messages that he was, he was bringing. And one of the reasons he did that is he offended those in political power, and they didn't like what he had to say. So Jesus, is, as he comes close and returns back to where that all was going on, the political tension, the energy, all of that is building. So you can imagine the people around him. Some are like, yes, I love what you're doing. I want to follow you. This is great. And then other people are like, wait a minute. What do you mean you're going to tear down? What do you mean you're going to change things? What do you mean there's a new kingdom coming? What, do you, like, what does this mean to me? How does this you know, stir up things for me? So some people were with him, and other people were strongly starting to come against him. I'm going to see if I can get the... There we go. So all around Jesus, there was religious confusion because people were, Jewish people were living under oppression. They were being ruled by the Romans, but they were allowed. The Romans, you know, one of their tactics was to let the people keep their own traditions and religion. That's how they were able to kind of keep the peace, even though they were colonizing the, most of the world. There was political fear and upheaval. People were, um, some people were loving this system of the Romans kind of giving them power and letting them have like a micro-monarchy or a micro-kingdom um, underneath them, and other people were suffering under it as they were, they kind of had the boot of the Jews as well as the boot of the Romans around their necks, on their necks. Um, so there was fear and upheaval, there was social oppression and injustice, and there was personal concern for positioning and power. And Jesus' disciples weren't immune to this. They were caught up in all of this. Um, there were religious leaders caught up in this. And there were regular people, parents, siblings, uncles, aunts. Just everyone was caught up in all the confusion um, that was going on at the time. And I, the question I was going to ask was, if any of this resonate, resonates with us today, and um, in many ways it does, in some, I mean, there's, a, there's a scripture that says there's nothing new under the sun, and I think that this is just common to human beings. Whenever you get more than one or two human beings living somewhere, you're going to get difficulty. But today, because of technology, we get to see these difficulties kind of in our face most of the time. And I've just thrown up a few images that I was seeing over the week, over the past week, that made me think about what people are coping with. 
Um, we've got you know, royal family members fleeing their country and coming to our country. We've got, I think it's kind of funny, our prime minister gets in trouble for buying donuts, and yet there's reasons, there's commercial reasons why that's a big issue. Um, we've got outbreaks and, you know, from everything from floods to storms to fires happening. Um, and south of the border, certainly those kinds of things impact us. And so I just want to take a moment for you to think about just as the disciples and the followers of Jesus had all of these intrigues and tensions and anxieties and personal power battles going on inside them and around them, um, it's good to pause and just think about how that's happening for us. What's impacting us? What stories are filling our minds? Um, What agendas are kind of coming up? I know for me, when I get anxious or if I start to feel fearful, I can st- and I think I've shared this before, I, I can kind of start putting up a shell or a wall and, and I want to lean into my toughness and my resistance. Um, and that can get, make me be a little prickly. Um, and everyone deals with it differently. Some people turn to coping mechanisms. So in whatever way um, you've been thinking through this and working through it, just pause and... Yeah, consider how much energy is going into worrying about um, the things that are going on. And then I'm going to read this. And in some ways, I think this speaks to the intrigue and the tension that's going on around us. This is uh, Jesus with the disciples. They're just coming into one of the areas that was on the map. Um, And they've just been surrounded by drama. He's been doing some healings. There's been a lot of chaos going on around them. And they were having a conversation on the road as they approached this place. They came to Capernaum. When he was safe at home, this is Jesus, he asked them, What were you discussing on the road? The silence was deafening. They had been arguing with one another over who among them was the greatest. He sat down and summoned the twelve. So you want first place? Then take last place. Be the servant of all. He put a child in the middle of the room, then cradling the little child one in his arms, sorry, then cradling the little one in his arms, he said, whoever embraces one of these children as I do embraces me, and far more than me, God who sent me. So imagine that, you know, the disciples, it's like, you can just picture them feeling a little sheepish like me, I wasn't arguing on the road, no, don't, and Jesus, you know, in his calm, wise way, looks at them. Um, I can't imagine how icky that would feel after all he's taught them about being humble and following him and they see how he lives and the model he is for them. And then he kind of pokes at them and he's like, yeah, what you're focusing on, you know, you're completely missing the point. And then he takes a little child and in the original language, it would be either a baby or a very small toddler in this passage, just looking at the original words and what they infer, and takes it into his arms. So he either, you know, you see a lot of ancient pair historical pictures. It's like he just leans down and puts his arm around. But I was kind of trying to imagine this like having a child in his arms I just saw my husband holding our godchild a few minutes ago, and it just, the way it made me feel, I was like, and my husband is like crazy for babies, and I was just like, I love that. I love seeing that picture of holding the child in the arms, and, you know, the picture that that would demonstrate or what that would evoke for the disciples. What does that feel like when you can just like be in someone's arms and imagining it being Jesus, 
And then also imagining what had just been going on in their heads, you know, struggling for position and worrying about what's going on and knowing there's people out there who are against Jesus and worrying about the political, all that stuff, and then just like, be like this. And so just imagine that for yourselves, what that's like and how disruptive that is to what we really feel like doing when we're anxious and when we're worried we're losing our position and our power and our privilege. How do we really feel when that's happening? We don't feel like just resting in someone's arms. At least I don't. So that's one image that Jesus brings, cradling the little one in his arms. And then he says, if you do this, laying in the arms, you know, that's, that's how you meet me. And far more than me, God who sent me. Imagine how disruptive that would be to people who were thinking and struggling. Imagine what it would be like to be told you should give up all of that and be vulnerable and be dependent. And the other thing about little babies is a lot of the time they're naked. Everything can be seen. They don't have status. They don't have position. They don't have power. They don't have much privilege. It's hard to imagine staying in that state. So Jesus continued on traveling and continued to ramp up. And shortly after this, there's another moment. So he's just told them to be like a child, right? He's just told them, this is, this is the best way to be if you're going to follow me. And then they're at another place. And at this place, it really got exciting. There was a, they, he healed a boy from epilepsy, and it was really dramatic. And the Pharisees came, and they were challenging him. And they were getting very close to the place where John the Baptist had been persecuted and all of his ministry was going on. And the Pharisees came and they were trying to trick Jesus and get him into trouble because they wanted to destroy his ministry and they wanted to take his life ultimately. So this is what's going on. And again, there's children around. And the Jewish people, um, one of the traditions they had and one of the things God had told them to do um, back in Deuteronomy, it was like to bless their children. So they took this very seriously and I don't, wasn't there, but apparently part of their culture was like to bring your little babies or your children around and actually get as many rabbis as you could to bless them. And so in the midst of all this intrigue, there's these family members, parents, uncles, aunts, often fathers, with their small children in the midst of the chaos, trying to get to the rabbi so he could bless them. And what did the disciples do who just were told to be like a child? They, they try to shove the children away. And we read in Mark 10, people were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms laid his hands on them, and blessed them. And again, we have this picture of Jesus, like, narrowing in on the most vulnerable, narrowing in on those who are most dependent, narrowing in on those who are actually being pushed to the sidelines um, in the midst of all the other chaos and in the midst of the priorities of the human beings that are involved in this. And again, just this beautiful picture of, you know, in this kind of gentle way, Jesus is like, Get your priorities straight. Like, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm here for. And as I said, this has humbled me this week. You know, Jesus drawing babies and children to him 
and then telling the adults to be like those babies and children. And I also thought about what fills the mind of a baby or a child. As I said, I was a foster parent, and um, we, you know, like all foster parents, you never know what the kids, what state the kids are going to be in when they come into your home. And, and more than once, we would have children come with the clothes on their backs, sometimes with the diapers they were wearing and, and, and no shoes. And, you know, I had no condemnation for the parents because, you know, the state that they were in was probably, for different reasons, they just couldn't provide what the children needed. And, yeah, it was pretty tough. A lot of skin diseases. And, and it was really interesting because often the children would just come. I remember one little girl. She just was totally, I don't know, innocent and dependent. She just, she just let you hold her. She wasn't resistant. And I just was amazed. Like, she just wanted... I don't know, she just wanted care. And if you gave her care, and actually I had brought her to church a few times, and one of the challenges of that is that they, they do become very trusting and they'll trust anyone. And I remember I would often have to chase after her because she would just hold the hand of anyone going by. And of course that's not healthy, but what, I'm, what, I also, what it also taught me was just this willingness to trust and willingness to have this sense that someone's gonna have my back, someone's gonna care for me, someone's gonna meet my needs, and I think that is, an, you know, as much as we abuse that in this world and take advantage of that in children, I think that's a little tiny, beautiful snapshot of the disposition Jesus was speaking to when he asked the disciples to become like little children, like babies. What fills a baby's mind? Dependency. Care for me. Feed me. Um, that's a pretty humbling message. What status does a baby or a child have? Not a lot. They, they can't do a lot to get people to... Actually, they do a lot that makes us frustrated with them more than actually want to be drawn to them, um, especially in their early days. But, um, yeah, there's not much confusion, tension, or drama um, that they're worried about as far as political plotting and agendas and preferences. So, again, just take a few minutes to think about the mind of a baby or a child and what disposition they have what they received from Jesus through his touch and through his care and through his nurture, through his blessing. And imagine yourself holding that posture. Imagine yourself just resting in Jesus' arms and leaning into him with that innocence and that dependency and that vulnerability. And I know that disrupts me. <laughs> I don't have that personality, as many of you know. That's challenging to me to, to imagine being so dependent um, and giving up the things that I rely on to hold my position and to, to keep me going. So Jesus is disrupting the, mes the messages of the time and he's disrupting the thinking of the people following him. He's disrupting the Pharisees. He's disrupting the disciples. And the things that he was disrupting them from would be their religious confusion and concern. And he's drawing them to humility and dependence. He's disrupting them from political fear and upheaval. And he's asking them to embrace God's sovereignty to receive the kingdom, which was the message he'd been sharing. He's asking them to draw themselves away from the social oppression and injustice the shrewd ways, often taxes would come up as one of the ways that people were oppressed. And the Jewish tax collectors were very involved in that. They were hurting their own people. And we see that going on today in our culture and in our, in our world. 
There was lots of ways that people were treated unjust, unjustly, especially women and young children and widows and orphans. And instead, he asked them to embrace that picture again, embracing themselves, embracing others the way Jesus does, physically, relationally, emotionally. He asked them to move away from, as they were doing, jockeying for position, wondering who's going to be first, who's going to be the best, who's going to be at the top. And he asked them to let go of their power and privilege and positions and receive Jesus' blessing. Be dependent on him in vulnerability and nakedness. That's a, that's a very disruptive message for me. N.T. Wright, in a book called Mark for Everyone, had this to say. This lesson resonates out into the centuries of church history in which so many have thought that being close to Jesus, even working full-time for him, made them somehow special. Those who have really understood his message know that the things aren't like that. As Jesus goes to the cross, turning upside down everything that his disciples had imagined, he is also turning upside down the way people, including Christians, still think. If we feel sorry for his disciples, and I admit I feel a little sorry for them because they can imagine the sheepishness, in their confusion, we should ask ourselves just how confused we ourselves still are. So I guess today I'm just asking you to join me in the confusion, in my own confusion. So that's one way that Jesus' message is disruptive. It disrupts us. It disrupts our thinking. It disrupts our agenda. It just just disrupts the trajectory of our lives somewhat and the trajectory of our world. But there's another way his message is disruptive, and this is the one that's a little more touchy because Jesus is asking us to put children at the center. And he's asking us to, you know, shift gears is the way I would think about it. How, do we sh- how does he want us to shift gears? How does Jesus want our disposition towards children to change in a way that forwards the message of the kingdom of God? And again, looking at our culture, there's a lot of messages out there about children. It doesn't take, you know... One of the things I don't like and have feel, yeah, get riled up about is just the way that social media is starting to shift the way we think of children, um, seeing them as a, getting in the way or interfering with you know, what we really need to get done. More and more, we're just hearing that it's not great to have a lot of children or it's, you know, it's better not to have children and, and even just... Um, and I know this is going to be touchy, and I'm not trying to offend people. I love animals, but I even, I wrestle a bit when I hear people speaking of animals the way we speak of children, you know, caring for their needs and feeding them. And I love animals. I, I've had wonderful animals in my life. They've been actually, yeah, a big part of my own health and healing throughout my life has been having an animal to be my best friend at times. So I totally am not saying it's wrong to care for animals. Just sometimes I get a little something, there's a dissonance in me when, um, yeah, I I have sensed sometimes people are caring more about animals or willing to put more funding into animal care than child care or protecting children and caring for them. And that's not a condemnation, it's just an observation that I have some concern about. In my own life, I like I said, we have had foster children and I have seen just just the difficulties around children play out in my own life, and I have no condemnation for anyone in this other than just, yeah, heartbreak over, I've seen children suffer a lot. I've seen children be, you know, used as, I guess, 
pieces on a chessboard for parents, against parents, you know, service providers struggling and having frustration over what to do with these kids, and it's so frustrating, and the kids are so, like, just so much anger at the children when it's actually us adults that are messed up. Um, and I, I've just seen children have, hold a lot of hurt in their lives and experience a lot of abuse. Um, and I've seen families get broken up for political agendas, and that that's crushing. I, there's a, I don't want to share anyone's story, but there was a situation where a parent, a child, a parent's child was moved to a different city for, yeah, reasons that had nothing to do with the fam, the immediate fam, the dad and child, um, and and he now doesn't have any access to his child, and that that crushes me. It breaks my heart because I know that. He, he couldn't do anything about it, um, but he no longer has access, and that those children no longer can have attachment to their, their father. So that grieves me a lot, and I actually feel like I can't do anything about it. I don't know if we can do anything about it, but there's things like that happening. So that's one piece of the puzzle is the big picture of just children in general, and then there's also children in our midst. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to... I know, yeah... I feel like I'm walking on sacred ground here, and, and I just acknowledge it, that sometimes I just get frustrated because it's hard to keep being open to the needs of children. Um, and sometimes it's hard to keep having a soft heart when children are difficult. And um, part of my story is I lived at Sick Kids Hospital for 10 months while one of my children was getting treatment. And... Um, you know, I was around some really hurting children for a lot of time. I, I slept in a burn unit one night because they didn't have beds in the, on the floor we were supposed to be on. And I listened to a child scream through the night because she came in with a severe burn. And let me tell you, that, that shakes your faith up. Um, but you know what? And I'm just going to be dead honest here. In the midst of that experience, I would get frustrated at annoying kids in the waiting room when I just didn't have the energy to listen to them. And I hate that. I hate that about myself that, you know, I want to be like Jesus and say, hey, that screaming kid that's giving me a headache when I'm in the middle of my grief, I want to go and hold them and be gentle. And I actually didn't want to. I was like, oh, can they just bring their child to another room? Because I can't handle this. Um, that's pretty tender place. And I, I share that not because I am really proud of that. I'm totally not. But I want to speak to how hard it can be for adults to have the capacity to cope with children when they inconvenience us and when they annoy us and when they frustrate us and when they mess up our plans in life um, and, and when things don't go the way we want our lives to go because um, the, the children that we are responsible for or that we care for or our friends' children um, send our lives in a different trajectory. And I repent of that and I grieve that in my own heart and I also... Yeah, I hope our, our community and our culture can repent of that because I hear Jesus saying, whoa, opposite world. Think of it the other way around. Put those children's needs first all the time. Otherwise, you're not treating me or God the way you're supposed to treat us. And let me tell you, if you're hearing that as a hard message, I am hearing that and have been hearing it all week as a very hard message. Um, it challenges me and, and uh, shakes me up but it also, in a good way, shakes me up to do better and to love children who need love and to pour out God's goodness and his care on children who need it. And there's a lot of them in our midst and in this world. So as we embrace children, we embrace Jesus, and far more, we embrace God. 
So as I've been asking, what messages about children fill our society? How safe are children living in vulnerable contexts in our city, in our churches, in our midst? And what resistances towards children do we wrestle with financially, emotionally, with our time, with our space, with our noise? Um, when are children a super annoying distraction and we just wish they'd stop being distracting and annoying? <laughs> and I'm just saying it out loud because <laughs> I'm humbly acknowledge I can be in this place too. I do want to say a special note about abuse because I think it's really important that we figure this out better in our church and in our communities and our cultures. Um, I, kn I work with families who struggle with abusive systems and patterns on a weekly basis and it's really hard to have compassion for someone who is abusing a child or has abused a child but one thing I do know is usually they've got a story, a pretty heavy one. And it's shaken me up to change my perspective. Um, but I'd like to come to a place, and I still need to get there with God's grace, that the people doing the abusing, they need compassion. And I know that's going to hit some people here hard. They also need help. And they need grace. They also need not to do it anymore, and they need to be stopped, and they need to have consequences. Those are truths that are all true at the same time. Um, and I would say in this community, we do our best to protect children. We train, we're diligent, we're, yeah, we really take it seriously. And, you know, I hope we're doing a good job at that. But I'm not naive, and I know there's probably children in our community that do suffer, possibly with abuse, verbal abuse, possibly physical abuse, or worse. And I guess I would just put it out there that if you're struggling with this as an adult with children in your care or are tempted with that, I just want to say that it's okay to tell someone and it's better to tell someone and get it out there than to keep struggling and hurting. So yeah, I just humbly hope that if anyone is in that situation, um, I hope our church would offer a place to be honest and to find care for both the abused and, and what you need for the person doing that. So if you're in that situation, and I don't know, I don't know of any stories, but I'm just saying, uh, I believe our pastor is someone who would cope with that well and have integrity and care and um, is really good at meeting people in very difficult situations. And I know there's a lot of caring leaders and different people in this church who are very, not only skilled professionally, but also... Um, yeah, there's a lot of integrity in this church, and um, it's something I love about it, but I also know that it's very scary to lean into those supports, but if we don't, it's just going to keep going. So I throw that out there to you, um, and I have no idea where people are at, and I don't have any particular situations in mind, but um, I think God does, and I think he really cares, and I think his love is big enough for everyone, no matter where they're at. So I leave that with you. All right, wrapping up. I warned you it would get a little heavy, but we're going <laughs> to move forward. Um, as I close, I just wanted to make a, couple of or a few suggestions in the week ahead for what you can do with some of this stuff as you wrestle with the ways Jesus' message about children and centering on children and asking us to be like children while also caring for children. 
Um, the way it's going to disrupt us and, and the way we're going to wrestle with that in the week ahead, here's just a few ideas of what you could do with that. I guess the first idea would be like, pray about it and talk about it. And if you need to talk to someone, please find someone to talk to. Seek someone. Um, identify one concern or worry that is filling your mind and disrupt it by taking on the traits of a child, trust, dependence, vulnerability, nakedness, and applying them to the situation. I know one right now that my son, who's 11 years old, uh, hopefully he doesn't mind me mentioning this, but we were just talking about the coronavirus, and he was sharing what they had said about it at school, and he was re and, and um, we were just able to kind of voice the fear and just make space for it, and I was able to kind of enter his perspective. Um, and it helped me think like, oh yeah, as a kid, the things that are being said and, and what's flying around out there would be pretty scary. And me as an adult, I get a little tense and scared about it. And how's that affecting me? And how can I kind of come as a child to Jesus with that and pray about it and, and just be open about it rather than getting tense and frustrated and cynical and resistant? So whatever the issues are for you or the areas you need that, try to make that shift. Identify a few hours during the week that are filled with busy work. Busy work is like, we all have responsibility, and I don't want people to quit the jobs or anything, but there's stuff we fill our life with that maybe doesn't need to be as full as it is. So if you have some of that time, maybe a few hours, consider trading it in for time with a child. And again, this does, isn't just a message for parents. We have lots of children in our midst. Half, of the, half the church empties out every time we have Sunday school. So you know there's a lot of children around us. So whether you're a parent or not, just um, is there a little bit of time you can give to a child? Um, think about that. Identify one way you can bless a child who's not your own in spiritual, physical, emotional, or relational ways. So yeah... I hope I pour out all these things on my children, and sometimes I annoy them with it, but um, especially when I've been away from them for a week, I just want to hug them uh, when I get back. Um, but there's other children. I know there's a little child here who almost every time I see her at church, she comes up, and I just love when we can hug. <laughs> it means a lot to me. But um, yeah, there's children who don't get a lot of that, or there's children who, because of who they are and those things they're struggling with, they're hard to do that with. So yeah, consider a way you can bless a child this week. And just practically draw or journal or paint or whatever you do. Try to imagine with words or pictures what it would be like to be embraced in the arms of Jesus like a small child. And I know that's a little cheesy, but um, I've been really challenged by this. I, I tend to be pretty independent and self-reliant, and I tend to be the person who's often comforting others or... Meeting, yeah, just doing that. And I, yeah, it was challenging for me to just be like, oh, you need to be the one who leans into his arms. You need to be the one who's vulnerable and naked and, and coming to him. And, and a, a phrase they use in counseling is to sit in the space. And, and it's really hard to sit in uncomfortable spaces or to sit in vulnerable spaces because um, we just want to get out of it. But sometimes just sitting in it... Yeah, it can be so good for the soul. It can be so good for our relationship with God. And it actually is very healing. So find a way to do that if you can this week and in the weeks ahead. So yeah, thanks so much for listening. I know that was a lot. And I'm just going to close in prayer for a moment. And then Josh will come up and lead us in communion. Creator God, thank you that you are a father who wants to have us in your arms, who wants us to come 
and be vulnerable and dependent and release all of the things that stir us up, that cause us to feel tension and angst, even anger and resistance, all the stuff, Lord. You want us to just release it and trust that you will hold us in your arms. So I pray that each one of us, Lord, could have a sense of that somehow this week, of your strong, warm, loving arms around us. Also, Lord, help us to love children that way, whether there are children or children in our lives or maybe even the children of a stranger. Maybe there are people who are trying to decide how to engage children or, or give their resources to care for children. Help us know how to do that in a way that honors you and blesses them. And may we be known in this community and beyond this community as people who care for children, who protect them and love them, and we, that we treat them the way we want to treat you and the way we would honor Jesus if he were in our midst. So thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace and your Holy Spirit that helps us with these hard, hard things. In Jesus' name, amen.